Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the world's best acrylic paints and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints. You can get their supplies in art stores everywhere or at goldenpaints.com. You know what keeps me going? Making work in the studio, podcasting with artists, teaching, being a dad, and everything else going on? Coffee. Specifically, the amazing coffee from Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee based out of Seattle, and the cool thing is, you can have it delivered straight to your door. Use the code ALFREDSTUDIO at checkout and get 20% off your order. They even have subscription services where they deliver different origin beans each week, every two weeks, every month, however often you want your coffee to arrive. I have it and it's amazing. I love the new blends each time I get a delivery and they're always really good. Check them out at fulcrumcoffee.com. I've been overwhelmed with the support for Why I Make Art, the Sound of Vision podcast book out on Atelier Editions. The messages from people who are into the book is really great. If you have a copy, please leave a rating and review on Amazon or wherever you ordered it from. It goes a long way at getting the book on the radar of other fans of art who might appreciate the stories of all the amazing artists involved. And if you don't have it, consider picking it up. You can get it via the Sound and Vision website page about the book. I hope it gives you some inspiration in your studio. Keita Morimoto is an artist born in Osaka in 1990 who immigrated to Canada in 2006 at the age of 16 and spent the following 16 years in Toronto before returning to Japan in 2021. He's currently based in Tokyo and he completed high school in Canada at Centennial Secondary School in Belleville, Ontario and received his BFA from the Ontario College of Art in 2012. His work has been exhibited in Canada, the UK, and the US, including at the Museum of Contemporary Art Toronto, Canada, and the Nicolas Metivier Gallery in Toronto. Keita is best known for his paintings of Toronto cityscapes and inhabitants, which bring classical techniques into the present day and transform everyday scenes into extraordinary ones. He's had shows at ATM Gallery in New York City, Kotaro Nukaga in Tokyo, Another Gallery in Los Angeles, WOW Gallery in Hong Kong, and many more. His work has been covered in Art News Japan, Casa Brutus, Pijutsu Teko, Wide Walls, Creative Boom, Wide Walls, Artsy, and Juxtapose, amongst many others. I spoke to Keita about growing up in Japan and then high school in Canada, drawing manga, finding fine art, Rembrandt, Enya, 7-Eleven, and much more. Here's our conversation. Perfect. Recording? We're good. Cool. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, for sure. So how long have you been back since your opening? I came back on the 16th, so I'm almost here for two weeks. Yeah, I left right away. Yeah, after that. Yeah, it's kind of a fortunate window, right? Because it was so hard going back and forth anywhere for a while. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, you know, states and Japan, like, we don't have too much restriction anymore. So as long as, like, I'm 
vaccinated, it's pretty easy to travel now. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like impossible for a while, right? I know. I know. It was closed until last month in Japan. So. Yeah, they went long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they did so well at the beginning of the pandemic that it mm-hmm. bookended lingering later at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Japan it's moves like, very almost, slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it's almost like the window of like, you know, of the hit of COVID, it, it affected everyone. If it hit you later, you mm-hmm. ended later. And if mm-hmm. it hit you earlier, you ended, you know, it was just like everyone had to go through it basically. Yeah. Yeah. Swedish or right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but when, so you moved back to Tokyo not too, too long ago, right? Uh, yeah. Last year in the beginning. So it's almost been two years. Yeah. Okay. 2021 in January. So it was like during COVID. Yeah. During, yeah. Just like right, uh, a year into COVID pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you, well, what area did you grow up in though? I grew up in Osaka. And then when uh, I was 16, I moved uh, to basically Ontario, Belleville, small town, east of Toronto. Was that for work, for parent, parental work thing? Uh, no, I, I, uh, I actually didn't get into a uh, high school, public high school in Japan that I really wanted to study in. And uh, I had to go to this school that I didn't want to go. So I convinced my parents maybe rather than sending me to private school and me hating a school, maybe it it'll be a better investment if they spend money on sending me abroad. So I went to Canada alone, basically. Whoa, that must have been <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it was a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially it was a very small, it was a very small town. It's called Belleville, east of Toronto. Um, so it's, you know, it's like, you know, 99% like Caucasian um, sort of town. Um, yeah. So it was very, very like a different experience for me. I had, I had a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's a, yeah, that seems like a huge culture shock, you know? But by yourself, that's the big thing because, you know, a lot of kids who move when they're younger, if they go with the family, there's at least that, you know, that anchor in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But I think were, that, that made me like extra independent, like early on. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But did you have uh, did you have siblings, brothers or sisters growing up? Yeah, I have a sister, uh, older sister, but she stayed with uh, my parents, and uh, she still lives with them. Actually, I think it, that gave them like uh, a bit of, you know, emotional comfort that like you know one of the siblings still at home right. kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, and uh, growing up, were you guys? How was uh, how was creativity introduced in your life? Were you like a drawer growing up? I mean, you your work lends me to think that you've always been drawing because you seem like you're pretty good at it yeah yeah i I definitely did a lot of comics um sort of manga type of uh drawings but then uh uh, i was actually quite serious about it too i gathered up a lot of materials i was really proud of telling my mom one of the birthdays i think it was grade seven that i wanted like a manga kit and uh you know i was really proud of myself i like uh when I started writing manga, I actually realized I couldn't write any stories. Um, as far as like you know, like screen, like a, like playwriting, I could I couldn't do any of that. So 
I realized I could draw, yeah. but I couldn't write stories. So that's uh, when I realized I couldn't. Um, at least independently, I just didn't didn't feel like I had it in me to like write stories. Yeah, it's such a different muscle, you know what I mean, in the brain. Like, it's amazing to those who are really good at that, where they can draw and create the stories that are engaging too because it's the night and day in a way you know yeah yeah we think we think you know being like a like a painter or a gallery artist is like doing a lot of stuff yourself but uh, being a comic artist like you're doing like everything <laughs> everything yeah unless <laughs> so you have a much. team but most mm-hmm. like 12 year olds don't have a team <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know? and you have to you have to submit to all these like uh you know different competitions like student competitions and stuff like that um yeah yeah and they train them young too manga you know it's like introduced at such a like almost like an unconscious way into life Mm -hmm. you know growing up there so how did when was the first time you had an experience with like a museum or fine art or that side of the drawing or painting spectrum yeah so that only happened when i moved canada pretty much i had a elective as an art and uh, I um, I took a lot of art classes because that was one of the classes that I didn't really need to speak English or write English <laughs> so yeah. I was like okay this is sweet like you know I'll just like fill my elective with one, like the art classes um, and that's when I got introduced a lot of like uh, Western art history my art teacher loved you know Rembrandt, Dali, and Picasso, and like you know all these like Western art that I actually didn't even know about. I didn't know who Rembrandt was at that time. I knew who kind of mm-hmm. Picasso was and Dali a little bit, um, and that's about it. Like that's all I knew about Western sort of like museum and like you know this kind of like historical art. Um, yeah. So that was really new to me. And the first time I went to museum was literally second year in OCAD. I mean I. I went to AGO and some small museums in Canada, but like it, it just didn't really like uh, resonate with me until I went to Met in New York, and that's when I yeah. really saw like, oh my god, these are like, these are like real paintings. <laughs> yeah, in person it hits a lot different, right? Than like yeah. books, you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't really truly uh, in love with Rembrandt uh, by uh, until that time. Yeah, I, I knew I kind of liked him, but uh, I knew his work from the book, so it wasn't it wasn't the same experience. Right. Yeah. Well, at that point, when you encountered that work, were you already sort of painting in some capacity? Yeah, I was doing a lot of uh, uh, first year art, you know, foundational art. I did a bit of a painting and some, you know, acrylic painting, watercolor, still like into the idea of maybe becoming a comic artist, but uh, I was doing a lot of painting and caustics yeah. and like different, different medium. And uh, I think when I saw Rembrandt, I realized, okay, maybe if all these painters in the, you know, the Dutch golden era was able to get to this level, like by the time they're like late teens or mid teens, maybe I can get there too. That's like kind of like what I had in mind. Like when I was 18 or 19, I think I was like, okay, maybe like, if I spend the next three years, I can get to this level kind of life. <laughs> that was my motivation. <laughs> that's a, those are lofty goals. That's a, <laughs> that was a very lofty goal. That. that was a very lofty goal, yeah. <laughs> well, the trick, is, the trick is most people who are teaching art nowadays aren't exactly 
you know, fluid in the the Rembrandtian genre of, of oil painting, you know, that yeah. kind of glazing. And when you see those paintings, if you haven't learned glazing and, and you know, that kind of oil painting, you're looking at it like, well, how did they do that? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like incomprehensible. Whereas if you see an acrylic painting or, you know, a painting that's more a la prima, like straightforward, you're like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. But Rembrandt's can really, you know, confuse you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, like a lot of you know, all these like uh, there there are a lot of academies all over the place, like Italy, New York. Like you know, there are a lot of academies, but uh, oftentimes I I I do feel like a lot of the academy follow the trajectory of like French Academy or Royal Academy type school of like much yeah. later, like sort of re- like it's like a post Renaissance realism. So I, I I felt like there was not a lot of like resource like that, that's like present, you know. Um, yeah. So it is definitely like it makes it harder to learn <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I don't think it's, you know, it the value of that kind of work I think is just not you know, it's seen almost as like a rehashing of an old technique and there's a bias that a lot of those institutions don't really teach the conceptual side of things. It's more of just like here's the technique, you know. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is what it is, but you know, you're not it's like one side of the coin. Now I'm sure they don't, I'm sure there's other stuff taught there, but mm. it, a lot of those places do heavily rely on, you know, technique over anything else really. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, it's like, I, I feel like a lot of the places they rely on the techniques that were very clearly documented, like let's say like Burboro or like, you know, Royal Academy, like later Brit- British schools. So I feel like there was a lot of things that was lost um, just because it wasn't documented, like from the, you know, the Dutch era or the Renaissance time. So it's just like a lot of guessing, right? Um, Yeah. 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 And then it's like, yeah, that's that's a whole, you could devote your life to that, trying (laughs) to get it. But it's like, in a way, it's almost, I, I think of it as being like kind of like a cover band. You know, you're like, you're trying to figure out how, you know, Mozart played his symphonies, which is great. Mm-hmm. but that's a specific thing as mm-hmm. opposed to bringing it into today and what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. in con- the contemporary world, like how do you merge? And there's artists who do that greatly. You know, mm-hmm. they mix that old technique with current ideas, but it's not easy. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very tough, uh, especially because uh, aesthetically, I think a lot of those realism, uh, classical realism, uh, you know, it has a lot of connotations when you use that, like you know sort of visual yeah yeah Yeah, and it's i think the same thing happens with music i mean people go to become you know they learn amazing musical skills or whatever they become technicians of their instrument but it doesn't mean that they're going to be good at composing music that that makes sense today basically yeah they have to be a metal band Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's where that's the one road that it leads to is metal and doing so. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of music did you listen to growing up? Uh, I listened to like I was like a music heart, like a, I think omnivore. Like I listened to so many things. Um, I used to be so into like I don't know like. I mean, if I have to choose a genre that I like, I, I think it would be a rock. It would be rock, but I listen to like mm-hmm. punk, you know, uh, reggae, reggaeton, hip hop, and 
pop and like I just listened to everything when I was growing up and now I just I just don't really have like specific music genre that I like I think I just listen to like top 40 now <laughs> or top 50 yeah. yeah 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 well now it's easy with you know streaming you could just let it go you know yeah like i just radio station i just let the spotify choose the channel for me you know <laughs> yeah right. yeah do you um when you were growing up was there a lot of music in the house though like when you were really little uh not really uh because uh my parents didn't really listen to music i think only music that i heard was my dad playing enya do you know enya oh yeah <laughs> great now that song's in my head <laughs> i'll have that song in my head for the rest of the day i don't know what it's called but it's the one you know <laughs> yeah uh my dad used to tell me about how he studied to enya and like it's like a great music and i was like oh, it's, it is nice I'm, i i i don't i don't hate it yeah. i guess it's conducive to studying you know it's pretty passive yeah it's not yeah. like you know mega death or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah, so were they creative at all? I mean, where do you trace your creative line from? Uh, yeah, they did draw Pokemon really well. When I would ask uh. them to draw any characters, they were able to like really draw it well, like to the T kind of thing, like encyclopedic type memory of like Pokemon drawing. I was pretty impressed with that. Um, and uh, yeah, and my mom also did a lot of like uh kind of children's illustration type things um mm -hmm. um not as her career but she did a lot in like her hospital she she worked as like a therapist and she mm -hmm. did a lot of like drawing there with like old um, old ladies and stuff like that so um, that's cool she was able to combine that with her job which is nice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and my sister did a lot of like dr drawing and painting when she was young and she was much, much better artist, so I was actually quite competitive with that too. I just wanted to be yeah. better than her <laughs> when I was like in the element elementary school, I think grade one, two, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I never grew up with manga or anime or any... Mm -hmm. I mean, Bugs Bunny was like the only cartoon I ever watched, really. Bugs Bunny? When my, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I grew up on. But when I was... When my son was young, he went through a Pokemon phase, and every day I would draw him one, in it and put it in his lunch bag. Yeah. Oh and my by god! By the that's time like so a amazing. year went by, I was so good at drawing Pokemon. <laughs> I was like, it's almost like you get there's a specific skill because you understand how the characters kind of look and the way they're going to be, so you just get good at it. It was yeah. pretty fun. Yeah, and it's like almost like a learning character, um, like you know how like you, when you draw like. Like Mickey Mouse, like you literally remember like how like everything is placed and how everything is balanced. Um, yeah. I think it's it comes from a perfect design of a character like that. Like it's so easy to like almost memorize, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because in the old days they had to draw everything frame by frame, mm -hmm. so you wanted to get something you could just flow quickly or else you would spend forever you know what i mean like drawing it out and now you could use computers so it's not as big as a deal but yeah yeah they are well designed but i think like if you draw people's faces over and over like if you're a portraiture artist and you you get to know the face like and the differences and there's like a shorthand to getting you know the the scale of everything it's funny 
I guess it's like practicing anything, like a mu- you know, like an instrument or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's so true, so true. So here's a side question: Growing up in Osaka, did you grow up loving food and comedy? <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> biggest biases. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, Osaka people. I think it's uh, yeah, it, that that's a stereotype, but it's also very true. Uh, there, I think. You can't find, you can't find like a romantic partner if you are not funny. Um, That's true. Or yeah. you find an unfunny partner. There, yeah, no, those people don't meet each other because it's like how, like you know, you just get so defeated if you're not funny, and like you, you, you kind of, yeah. you can't stay on the upper end of the social hierarchy if you're not funny in Osaka and. That that was a tough environment actually. Everyone's trying to like one up each other with like comedy skills almost, like the timing and spacing. Like it's just like, yeah, <laughs> that was a tough yeah, culture. It makes, it makes people more outgoing, I would imagine. You know. Yeah, for sure. It, it's 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 not a it's not a city meant for like introverts. Um, yeah, I was I was not like too outgoing, so like it, it was a bit tough for me. Like, but I still, I think. I learned a lot about humor and comedy in Osaka, and also, yeah, the good food. Like, you know, appreciating good food is definitely a thing. I, I go out every week in Tokyo as well, just to like find all the amazing food, because Tokyo just like is so mind blowing. I didn't know how amazing the culinary scene was here. Yeah. 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 yeah all the way down to 7 Eleven, if you ask me. Oh my god! Yeah, I go there every day. I was just thinking, actually, even I was just talking to uh, my uh, partner, my wife, uh, Erlene, about how um, should I grab ice cream before the interview? Like, you know, maybe I, I'm gonna grab ice cream, but maybe I'm gonna treat myself after the interview to eat ice cream. I don't know. Seven <laughs> <laughs> Eleven is just down are, the street. <laughs> oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> The egg salad sandwiches are like the thing I miss the most about. Oh my god, so good! And the coffee's so actually good. good. <laughs> and were you? Did you play any sports? Were you a sports fan at all? Or uh, my dad watched baseball, but uh, he like yeah he he took me out to like baseball games. I I was never really into it. I just went along with him. Um, yeah, yeah. Like for me, I think I just never really understood that whole culture of like kind of like you know you're in the same city as everyone else and everyone just feels united like you know cheering for one team i just never really like understood that culture um yeah i mean i I get why people do it but i just never really felt it like for me yeah yeah i think well i think for some people it becomes like a hobby in an identity because it's they don't if you don't have that release you just work a nine-to-five job that you're not that into Mm-hmm. but you can go to this event where there's other people and it gives you something to look forward to outside. I think a lot of artists maybe don't have that because they have art. Like that's the thing that they're yeah. putting everything into, but some people don't have that. So, yeah, that's true. Actually, like if you're, I think if somebody start criticizing like your favorite artist or something, then like you start to like get really like agitated. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's my team. <laughs> Monet's on my team. <laughs> You're yeah. Manet. I'm Monet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When are you um, visiting Tokyo next? Uh, are you having a show at uh, like? Uh, I, I just realized you show at Mahokubota actually. Yeah. Yeah. I had a show fairly recently, 
Um, and I wanted to go to it. I, right. yeah, I wanted to go to it, but I couldn't because at that point I would have had to spend two weeks in a hotel and I can't, I don't have that kind of time. So I just couldn't do it. But, right. but yeah, I'll have one there relatively soon. I don't have the dates exactly yet, but I'm starting to work for it. So nice, soon, nice. hopefully. Yeah. I nice. miss, I mean, it's been a while since I've been, so I kind of miss, you know, being there. Nice. Yeah. We should grab food or something. Definitely. 7-Eleven. I'll meet you at 7-Eleven. <laughs> I'll be an egg salad. Coffee and those, uh, and, yeah. oh, and those al- alcohol drinks, uh, just you can drink it on the street here too. Oh yeah, the highball in a can or whatever. Yes, <laughs> yeah, those are good. Um, yeah, so when you made the move and you went to school, was it was art part of that program? I mean, I guess you just had art class at that point, right? Because you were still kind of young. Um, did it become more serious. You know, when did you start to feel like, oh, well, you know, this is this is something that I think I want to focus on? Um, I think it didn't happen until I was in second or third year in OCAD. Um, that's the art school in Toronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was thinking about going back to Japan to become an English teacher after high school. But then my parents already opposed to that idea. Like I was already in Canada, so they just told me maybe you should just stay. Um, just, you know, you're already there. <laughs> like, don't come back. <laughs> yeah. Stay over there. It's nice and quiet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty much. You're doing it. great, yeah. buddy. Stay over there. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like uh, it was actually a really rare uh, case. I I tell this to like all my Asian friends, and like all their Asian parents were like you know, like kind of giving them a bit of a headache, but like my parents pushed me to go to art school. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll take that. That's um, cool. And I applied to OCAD and I got into it. And I think second or third year, my mom told me that, that she wasn't going to financially support me after university, like at all. Like she won't, like she'll just cut me off. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a good <laughs> heads up you know like i have like yeah. still two three years so <laughs> um but she's she told me like you know she gave me an option of also coming back to osaka to work as well if i like you know have to like survive right. um but just giving you a heads up so i was like okay um this gives me like a motivation and that's when i started looking at a lot of like professional artists and i met Tessa Lowe in Toronto, you know, he was one of the working artists in Toronto. And I started seeing a lot of these like uh, Mm -hmm. California artists as well at that time. And like, you know, I was just emailing everyone left, right and center to ask them about like what it's like to be artists. Uh, Or I think I was also talking to some illustrators as well and like, you know, see what everyone else is doing and if it's even feasible to become an artist as a career. so yeah. I think first couple of years out of school was really hard, but I think I already started prepping for it uh, during school. So I was doing some like, you know, independent mm-hmm. art fairs during school and uh, applying for different competitions or uh, publications and, you know, just cold emailing a bunch of galleries and stuff like that. Um, I think I, I emailed like 50 galleries and I got like, zero response <laughs> it's hard right it's like that but well, back in my day when you graduated school the idea was is you you bring your slides like you'd have to walk in because there's no email 
Mm-hmm. So you'd have to walk into galleries and like give them your slides. And it was like so daunting, that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just never did it because I was like, I would have been so nervous to just walk in. And the thing you don't realize is those galleries are representing like, you know, a handful of artists and they're spending all their time on that. And if they answered every email or looked at everyone's images, they'd never work for the artists or do anything that they're doing. So it's so hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had these like a CD as well of like works, you know, and like actually like mail yeah, them. rom Yeah. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like, I mean, you did a lot of research, which is great. I mean, did you glean anything from it? Yeah, I mean, like I had some. I think I had a one group show out of it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and I think what I learned most was that the art world or whatever. Like, I mean, there's a lot of art worlds. Like, I think it's plural. Uh, it just operates in uh, word of mouth. That's like one thing I realized. Um, so I just. Because, like, I think every opportunity that I was getting was through, I mean, except a few competitions that I got into, but I think mostly from just, like, oh, like, you know, why don't we do a group show here? Or, like, you know, why don't we do a group show here? And, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, stu- uh, sort of, like, studio mates or classmates that was, like, you know, doing a lot of uh, group shows and stuff like that. And I think that's how we started growing together. And I think that's the time when social media came around as well so i think we got really lucky in terms of generational sort of like um fortune was that that we had an instagram right off the bat um right yeah that really helps like connection it's funny because sometimes people will say things like oh well you know art world just about who you know or connections but the thing is is like if people don't know who you are you know what I mean? How are they going to know to curate you in something? So it's it's really important that you, you know, build a community and talk to people and get to know people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was very shy and not very outward at all when I was in school. And I just got lucky that one of my teachers introduced me to the my first dealer. Right. So I got lucky in that it was a one-to-one thing. I didn't have to go out there and like meet tons of people because I'm not like that kind of person, you know, yeah. who just feels like I want to be social every minute of the day but it is really important that you know you have a community that supports you or that likes your work you know yeah actually that reminds me one of my favorite teachers luke painter he's the one who uh introduced me to this artist paul butler who was doing this like uh annual uh sort of nui blanche uh this was kind of like almost like a comedy painting competition but the prize was really good it was like 12 hour painting competition where there's a lot of performance artists and there's like painters and there's just like different artists uh, all put together as almost like a show uh, it wasn't a serious competition but like the prize was uh, a solo at a gallery so that was like you know a huge deal um yeah so you know like that came out because of like you know my like uh relationship with my teacher so yeah right yeah that always helps that sounds like a wild event (laughs) oh my god it was great like 12 hours and like you know there's like a lot of drunk people coming through for like this uh art event called nui blanche in toronto it's like goes all night and everyone's drinking and like we're just performing for 12 hours like we're, we're painting from like bunch of different motifs and yeah it was crazy yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I guess you have to you have to be a certain kind of painter to be able to handle that. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think I was the only like kind of like a uh, like painter's painter. Like you know, there were like right. a lot of like uh, like really yeah freaky stuff. Yeah, I think there was a lot of nudity too. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like it would go hand in hand with the event. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were in school, were you doing like? painters paintings you know what i mean were you basically like what was your subject matter how was it because like your work really seems to be influenced by your environment like the the spaces around you the people that you're you know looking at and um was that kind of what you were inspired by in the earlier work uh yeah 100 percent. i think i was really uh just yeah i think even when i I uh, think about artists that I was looking at at the time, um, you know, I can just only think about like a lot of painters, painters like Sangra Majindar and like, you know, um, Josephine Halverson and um, uh, even Daniel, Daniel Richter. Like, you know, I think I was just looking at a lot of like painters that was like, like using uh, mostly like representational um sort of way to approach painting um, but still approaching painting from like a very interesting way from like medium or process or yeah it's just like how they perceive yeah. the reality yeah yeah one of the things i thought about and looking at your work is that you seem to be really good at both like painting the figure in a very representational straightforward way to where you know I don't know exactly how to describe it but you know there's a nuance to the finesse of like the representation but then in the background of your paintings you'll you'll do a shorthand on figures where they're a little more broken into like paint strokes and stuff and you're really good at that too so is right. do you ever feel that conflict that oh, i need to show both ways of representing the figure or you prefer the one that's you know more in detail or you enjoy the the more not abstract but you know the looser way of painting because those are really those elements of the painting for me are, are really highlights right right yeah i think um yeah that's a really good question um I definitely do think I enjoy both. I think it's one of those things that I started learning from like looking at like Franz Howes or like, you know, all these like Renaissance paintings. And like, I mean, even like somebody like Soroya and like, you know, there were like just like some areas that's like super finesse, but then like it's like all these like sloppy area with like turpentines and like yeah. just blobs and stuff like that. I was like, okay, they, they really didn't try on these areas. And like, I think it just also kind of created nice contrast of like, you know, like kind of like guiding eyes with the contrast of like finesse versus non-finesse and stuff like that. And that's just like something that I cultivated during the time of like learning uh, during school. Yeah. yeah. I was just like yeah. really obsessively studying, you know, classical works at the Met. I think I went back to New York just to, you know, go to Met and Frick. And, you know, that's like all I did, I think, during school right. time yeah <laughs> it's a good visit i mean you got to give yourself a day because there's so much to see yeah and i will actually bring like a great scale like you know these like uh like swatches and like take picture right beside the swatches oh, wow. like you know just to see like okay where does these like value actually fall into like stuff like that you know 
<laughs> right. That's research. <laughs> yeah, I was doing like crazy research then. Yeah, like I was like really nerding out at like all these museums, and there were like securities literally trying to escort me out because I was just like really getting close to the painting with these swatches. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. You know, it's funny like thinking of those painters. So, so many painters did do that where you have like Manet who would have the figure up front that was really rendered. And in the background, like the flowers or a vase or light reflecting would be just a brushstroke, you know, like a loose gesture or, you know, uh, Velasquez would have like a painting in the back where it's just like almost like five brushstrokes, like really raw, you know, but then the figures in the front were like fully rendered and it's just nice. You feel like a lot of times it's almost like an excuse to paint another way in the painting and it's just like a you know like a like modern day would be like tilt shift or like bokeh or something where it's like fuzzy in the background and mm. you know we think of the camera but back then it's like you know some sort of excuse to like broaden the lexicon of brush strokes in a painting yeah for sure and i think like even like uh when we think like more modern like let's say like when I saw David Hockney's work at the MoMA, like for the first time, I was actually surprised, like how loose some of the areas were. Yeah. And like yeah. it's almost like like messy. Um, but then like even some of his earlier work that looked tight in the photograph, and there were tight areas, like figures were like obviously tight. But then like when you look at the grounds or these like little pebbles, it's just like you know just like two colors and like really messily applied and stuff. And I was like. This is so interesting, like, you know, like, just this level of effort that's, like, put into, like, different areas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, it's nice. It's funny because in my paintings, I'll often do it where I'll use, like, a billboard or something mm -hmm. or something in the landscape that's yeah. a different image. And I'll use that as an excuse to paint in a totally different way. You know, right. It, it, it's like a cheat code for, like, adding abstraction or something else into your, into your world in a way. That's a yeah that's a good idea that's a good idea i like that it's fun i mean it was my you know i i kind of grew up i came to be as an abstract painter right and then you know when i went to skowhegan i just i was like you know what i don't want to paint fractals and like you know all this like crazy abstraction anymore i just want to paint like real life stuff you know the world around wow us. okay okay so i made a big shift there but it just seemed like a great place to to make it well, not that it was hyper conscious but you know and then I was just like, I just want to be, in it, be able to paint anything I see, you know. Right. So wow. Skowhegan really changed you. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, that, that place. I was walking to my studio in a bolt of lightning. I saw the storm coming. Yeah. And right over the sculpture area, a bolt of lightning hit a tree. Yeah. And the tree fell into the power lines. And then all the lights of the, that area went out in the right. sculpture area. And right. Like, That's what I want to paint. So I just totally wow. painted that. I went to the studio and imagined that and sort of painted it and it changed it. So, wow. And then it's funny because once you start going realistic, then you're looking for excuses to, to keep in touch with the abstraction of images. It's like right. the grass is always greener, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Wow. I thought Vermont residency changed me, but Skowhegan, I hear a lot of like a lot of rumors, you know? Yeah. Well, I think any time you get off the grid in a way, and you mm -hmm. get into a setting where you're around other people, but it's not as didactic as like university or art school. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice because you, you can lose yourself in that environment and make some changes, but it doesn't feel like there's a, a pressure keg there, you know, just like pushing in on you. It's kind of loose and open. Yeah, it worked. 
Yeah. So when did you do the residency? Was that I, after? I did it, uh, I think it was almost three years ago. Yeah, 2019, 2019 May. Yeah. And it, it made an impact on your work? I think it was just like uh, it made the impact on my just like uh, life and like just like my mind in general. I think like I was just going through a lot of change, uh, a lot of like a personal change at that time. And it just kind of like made me really like uh, re mm, almost like a reorganize my uh, life priorities and like, you know, like uh, kind of be in touch with like my emotions a lot more. Wow, that's uh, a big that's a big impact. I know, I know. That's, it's like that's not like it, it wasn't like yeah. I just started using more red. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's like it's like it's like way more like sort of fundamental than like just art. It just felt like yeah, like you know when when people go to like ayahuasca or Burning Man or something, and oh just, yeah, they have that kind of experience. I think that was a similar for me. Yeah. Well, it's a shorter commute to Vermont. That was good. <laughs> yes, yeah. you didn't have to go all the way down to. Where is Burning Man? Arizona or New Mexico or something? Yeah, somewhere south. Yeah, desert. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere hot. Um, So did you, in that residency, did you start thinking of moving back? Or was that always a thought to move? It was always a thought. But uh, I think right after that, I I just like really like, I was like, okay, I got to make this happen. Um, Because I wanted to move out of Toronto for a while. And... Mm -hmm. um, I had this gallery, um, I actually uh, uh, parted with my gallery just last month, uh, actually no, it was mm-hmm. just this month, yeah, it was just this month, two weeks ago, um, but I worked with like same gallery for like seven years until this year, um, mm-hmm. and I think um, when you're in a similar kind of like work routine, like you start to feel like just like a nine to fiver. <laughs> right. yeah. um, and it's just kind of the worst feeling when you're like, when you went into art to sort of uh, pursue or seek this idea of like autonomy or freedom or, you know, um, just like this free lifestyle that like you idolize or idealize. And then you get into this, like basically like, maybe even sometimes harder than nine to five or sort of routine. Um, yeah. and, and I think I was getting really like kind of tired of it. So I had to like really make that drastic change. How was, um, I mean, Japan is like a totally different uh, art world, art scene. You know, mm-hmm. was it a difficult, although Toronto is different in a way, like the it's provincial in Toronto, you know, it's got its own sort of, structure and stuff i mean was it a big shift coming back yeah so you know when i was in canada i actually thought canada had like actual like you know like a substantial market obviously i knew the art market wasn't as big as like like new york or like anywhere close to the states um but i knew there was some and like you know i was you know living off of my paintings and so it was like fine um and I was actually a bit scared of going to Japan, but then like I started noticing. Um, I mean, I knew there was like Kaikai Kiki, and there were galleries in Japan that was like you know doing whatever, and you know there were. Um, I knew there were artists who were living off of their art in Japan, but I just didn't know like at what scale. 
until I moved here and I was actually pleasantly surprised right. that like there was actually like a substantial uh, size of art market here. Um, and I think it's because yeah. of like recent development in Asia, like, you know, including Korea and China and Southeast Asia and Taiwan and like, you know, all these countries. It, I almost, I think I was talking to my friend Dominique about how like, it's almost like this, like, it's like a greater Asia region. It's like, yeah. it's like a, one, this region is comparable in size to like United States uh, and maybe right. even Europe combined. Um, because like, chi you know, Chinese population is so large and then like all the other Asian countries also have like a huge population like Indonesia and like Thailand and like, and I think there was, there's just like a lot of like economic growth in recent years. So I think that's kind of like leading, um, like this, like a new cultivation and development in the in the arts. Like, and I'm I'm not sure where this is heading, but like, I just know that this is a quite recent development, and I didn't know how fast growing it was. Yeah, in Asia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it hurts too that, you know, a lot of the celebrities who are huge there are collecting art, and not in like a passive way, but in a really thoughtful good collection way you know there, there's a mm -hmm. lot of people promoting who are, have like millions and millions of followers mm. you know promoting the value of like fine art and and i think that that doesn't hurt you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, I i do think like i think a lot of collectors and galleries like so, sort of like uh sometimes scrutinize this like a newer buyers because like oftentimes they don't know too much about art history and they like you know they might not be like quote unquote like educated like collectors or whatever but at the same time there's a lot of interest which is like you know great because when i was in toronto i feel like there was like a hand, handful of collectors who were like you know who kept buying artworks but there wasn't like a new young generation that was going into like buying art because right. i think canada had a crazy real estate uh bubble and a growth that like every penny the canadian make they put it into real estate um so like they, it's not even a thought to them that like you know buying art um, as like right. a thing to do, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I, I, it's great if a collector has a vast knowledge of the history of art or, you know, is really educated. But I, I mean, if someone walks in the gallery and they like the work and they don't really know that much about art, I'm fine with that. I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's great because that means they're just responding to what they think they like that they want to have you know so mm -hmm. i mean i i think it's good both ways you know you need both in a way yeah for sure but anyone who's willing to to get involved and to, who wants to you know support artists i think it's a great thing mm -hmm. yeah for sure. but uh moving but it is it is different well i guess not completely there is a different scale in japan though you know for the for a large percentage of like collectors or spaces just it's just not quite as big and voluminous as other places i mean your work has, yeah. has your work pretty much stayed the scale it stayed over the course of moving around and working in different spaces um you, you mean like moving from canada to japan yeah or just wherever well actually the show at atm gallery that's not exactly you know a gig a ginormous space so you've Right. You know, whenever you're making your work, are you conscious of the space that you're showing in and the scale of what you're doing? Um, 
Yeah, you know, like that, that, that was one of my concern at first because my studio in Japan, like in Tokyo, is like relatively like smaller than the one that I had in Toronto, but like not much smaller. Um, yeah. And、uh, also, you know, the properties are quite cheap here. So I'm actually like thinking about like building a studio in Tokyo.、Um, nice. So that I can like have a taller ceiling. It's just more of a ceiling height, is like I think the problem in Tokyo.、Um, It just not a, a lot of. It makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, like it's just t h i s shorter doors and shorter ceilings is like making me like、uh, kind of not want to work large scale. But at the same time, I think I, you know, even Terada Complex in like Tennozu, like in Tokyo, like you know, there's a lot of galleries、uh, that are developing right now that are actually quite large, you know, like 1,000 square、yeah. feet or 5,000 square feet or even like 10,000. Like, you know, Maki, like, you know, they have like. Even Kotaro has like pretty large space、um, yeah, it's big. there as well. So I think like there's a lot of like development in larger scales. I think, you know,、um, they are, I think they're only developing that right now because there is enough interest. Whereas before,、right. I think, you know, people were staying in much smaller, like Ropongi or Ginza type, of, like smaller, almost like a retail shop size galleries because、right. I think the Interest wasn't as big as,、uh, like, you know, of right now. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny that、uh, Shinagawa has become like an area because、uh, our family would always stay there whenever we go、mm-hmm. because the Shinkansen is just easy.、Yeah. But it's kind of like a business, traditionally, like a more businessman place to stay.、Mm-hmm. But it's cool to see it become more artsy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure.、Um, so, Yeah, the, the show that you have now, were you, did you make that in Toronto? Or no, you were, you were here in,、mm-hmm. or in Japan when you made that work. So, yeah, I was working on my show,、uh, my last show in my Toronto gallery、uh, for、mm-hmm. the beginning of this year. And then when I went to visit my、uh, partner's family in Toronto, that's when I started my ATM show. So I spent about like a month and a half for ATM show. Um, so, yeah, like just a little bit, like a few weeks in Toronto and a whole month in New York. I was there just working in uh, uh, Dom, Dom's studio, Dominic Dominic's、yeah. studio. Yeah. Yeah. So, in that work, was that all photos that you had taken? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that、yeah. was from back in Tokyo, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just keeping it consistent you- with my last body of work, like just to keep in the momentum going. Right. Yeah. Do you go to Osaka much?、Uh, not as much. Maybe like once, twice a year. Maybe twice a year just to visit my family. Yeah. 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 It's,、uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a different vibe, I think, between the two. But and、yeah. you, never, you never think of maybe like Akia or something, like going out and getting like a cheap house and building a big studio out in the countryside? I always think that would be nice. Okay, so that's what I thought at first.、Uh, before moving to Tokyo, like、yeah. I moved to Tokyo because I wanted to go to maybe MFA just for fun.、Uh, not, mm-hmm. Maybe not for fun, that's kind of like.、Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, just hanging out with <laughs> it. It's kind of weird. But like, you know, I wanted a new experience.、Um, so I applied for MFA, but I didn't get in.、Um, But also, I think I wanted to go to Tokyo because、uh, my partner didn't want to be in countryside. So I was like, okay,、right. um, I guess Tokyo or like some ar- urban city then, you know.、Um, 
and I realized there was an MFA program at uh, Tokyo University of the Arts. So I was like, okay, maybe it's, uh, this is a good opportunity. You, you know? didn't get in? Yeah, I didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been like, uh, this guy, why was? Why does he want to come here? He's already got his thing going. This is, yeah. Uh, and also apparently like MFA program, uh, because it's a very small uh, uh, group uh, that each yeah. profs can take. And apparently most of them are directly from uh undergraduate so they just take directly from oh, their own students from undergraduate programs i was like okay i don't want to read you uh, undergraduate so it's so hermetic <laughs> <laughs> yeah very yeah yeah it's hard to get yeah um and uh i have a weird question for you yeah yeah, yeah. where do you get your supplies oh i actually so i have one shop in Osaka that I get a lot of supplies from is really cheap and they their shipping cost is only like ten dollars. So I just order mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff from them. Um they have everything? They have mostly everything. I have one stretcher company that I use, um that's quite good here. But uh in terms of oil paint, I actually haven't been able to discover anything that I like. Uh, compared to the one brand that I like from Montreal, Canada. So mm -hmm. they have minimum spending, but they do free ship, free international shipping if I spend, I think, 300 USD. So I just yeah. buy a bunch of paint from this Montreal brand still. It's like Kama, K-A-M-A. It's amazing paint. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, you can hit that $300 mark pretty quick with paint. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like it's easy. Ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found the reason I ask is because I worked in Japan for a summer and I found yeah. it really hard to find the same because you know you like you're saying with with a Canada like you find the supplies you're used to you know mm -hmm. and then not being able to get supplies you're used to is a weird thing because you get so accustomed to your studio practice and like what you're using you know yeah and, like I think it was it is it Sakaido is that the place mm -hmm. in Kinza mm -hmm. that you know I went there and it was a cool store but like making big stretchers there was really difficult it paints was are so tiny yes yeah and the the tape i use masking tape although the tape in there is really good but it's weird it's like little and yellow and it's very very thin ah yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's hard to get wide like i'll use wide masking tape like you know six to twelve inch wide masking tape and i that was not happening yeah you gotta you gotta go to like a home center here Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, like uh, Tokyo Hands or something like that? Or no, like... More like a har hardware store, like a big, like, you know, you, you have a lot of trucks going in there, like lumber, you know, they sell lumber. Right, and, right. Yeah. Those yeah. are the spots. Those are the spots, yeah. Those are the spots. Yeah, it's hard when you relocate. Don't you feel like when you change your studio, it's like a whole new... It's nice. It's kind of like a rebirth in a way, but... Yeah, it's always a little unsettling at first. You're right. Like we don't have like Dick Blick type, type like a large scale art supply. So you know it's mostly like online or you go to like hardware store and yeah, stretchers. They have like very specialized company, but you have to order in advance to get it. You know, on time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to. Do, I only had six weeks, so it was like I thought I could just run to the store and get big stretchers kind of easily wasn't that easy if you're ever here again like just let me know what you need and i'll just have it or like you know ship to my studio um Will yeah. do. <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah so uh what are you working on nowadays 
now that you have this show, you know, you just hung the New York show. Uh, I'm working on this art fair in Kyoto. It's like a new art fair. I think they started last year. Maybe this year is the first time. It's called uh, Collaboration Arts Tokyo. Um, mm-hmm. Or Art Art Collaboration Tokyo, yeah. And uh, what else am I doing? Oh, I'm, I'm curating a show at Kotaro Space just uh, opening November 26th as well. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. Uh theme is uh it's very broad. It's I, I'm thinking like you know it's such a it's such a cliche topic, but it, I I'm thinking like diversity and hybridity in terms of like like different culture and different mediums and like different sort of like historical canons. So I'm trying to like really like I think this group show is gonna be like a mess, but it's like a in a good way. <laughs> I like those kind. <laughs> yeah, it's like a nine people, but like you just like it's almost hard to find like congruency throughout the show. Yeah, yeah. No, those are fun. I, I did a show <laughs> once, a black and white show, uh-huh. and it it was all over the place because it, it could be anything. It just had to be black and white. Right. But that made it fun because you could yeah. just throw like wildly different people next to each other. Yeah, and there was a, a little bit of cohesion with the palette, but otherwise, you know, it was fun. I like yeah. it when it gets loose, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm actually like, I think it, I decided to do that show like almost chaotic theme because I actually really don't like when I get invited to group shows that are like so thematic. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like paintings of the city, featuring <laughs> ten painters yeah. who paint the city. It's like all right. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to make the viewer do a little bit of work conceptually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the theme of that, just thinking about what this is separate but related. When you moved back, was it is it difficult because you did spend so much time away? Do you feel now like a little bit off the the main rails of just being in Japan the entire time? Um, or do you did you assimilate right back in? I assimilated right back in because it was only two months away, and I think it took me much longer. I actually wasn't able to assimilate totally to Toronto or New York because it was only a month. Um, yeah, and I was like, wow, like New York people are like so different from like Toronto or Tokyo. It's just like everyone is like got this diva energy and like um <laughs> i don't know like and like everyone is really like like outgoing and like they're like always flexible like you know they're busy but also like very flexible and down to hang out and it's just like wow it's so different like in tokyo like we have to organize everything like we have to plan in advance like you know month in advance to like hang out even um so it, it's a very very different culture and <laughs> I would yeah. never have that. That could never work for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, I'll put that on the calendar. Well, maybe my phone calendar would save me, but otherwise it's so hard. I think it's a product of like, you know, everyone's just so different doing different things and you just yeah. adapt to it, I guess. You know, you have to yeah. because you'll never see anyone, you know. I love I love New York for that uh, sort of like uh, kind of chaotic energy. Um like, I, I just wish the city was a bit cleaner, but at the same time, I just love that, like, sort of outgoing and, like, free spirit in New York. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I totally agree. I think it would be amazing if you had the cleanliness and on-timeness of, of like Tokyo and, and the looseness of New York in a way. But like combine it together. Like, yeah, because like those are ox, that's oxymoronic uh, sort of uh, states right. of being. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want the best of both worlds, but leave out the worst of both worlds. Sometimes yeah. when I'm in Japan and I'm waiting like five minutes for something to be wrapped at the register, and I'm like, that's really beautiful the way they're doing that, but just give me... <laughs> yeah, I know. The food so I can leave. Because <laughs> the New Yorker in me comes comes out where I'm like I'm I'm on the clock here, people. <laughs> so they just toss your croissant in a bag and just throw at you on the counter, right? Just, it's yeah, like just ten dollars, please. Like, yep, yeah, next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, the kindness but speed. Like you want the best of everything. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. Um, so where, where's the best way people can check out? I mean, people in New York can go see your show and then what, how else, you know, what's the best way for people to find your stuff? Like in person or in the virtual realm, if they're not located in the city where you are showing in, in a virtual world, it would be Instagram, Morimoto studio. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to do shows again in the States, like maybe a larger scale show, uh, whichever whichever space um, that works uh, with the body of work. So uh, actually, you know, what? I'm going to I'm going to have a show in Vancouver next year. So that's going to be nice. That's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Instagram, you're busy on there. And uh, that's where you're updating people on your stuff, right? Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Well, it was great meeting and thanks so much for taking the time out to talk yeah thank you so much that was a really uh really fun and great question brian that was yeah amazing i think it was uh, one thanks of the, well. one of my favorite interviews actually thank you i'm a big fan of the work so it's easy to talk thank <laughs> you and we'll catch up in new york or tokyo sounds good